You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. We are all over the place, including Spotify. I know a lot of people don't know that we're on there, but you can find us there. Also, check out the other 14 podcasts in our network. The big one this week is Three Yards Per Carry. They did five episodes leading up to the draft. Six hours of Simon and CK telling you about punter prospects from (laughs) Binghamton State or whatever it is. So make sure that you check that out. Also, check out Miami Heat Beat Chamber Podcast out for the count, all the other pods in our network, and check out our new website, five reasonsports.com. That's spelled out five reasonsports.com. Two or three columns up there a day, plus news and all of our podcasts. All right, we're gonna do a little bit of NBA here today. I know that Heat fans are trying not to pay attention to the playoffs, probably would have been eliminated by now anyway, uh, by the Bucks. It would have been four or five games. So at the very worst, at the very best or worst, however you look at it, it would have been tonight. Uh, but they're out of it. We still want to get into some NBA with the most prolific tweeter in the NBA Twitter sphere, Matt Moore. You know him as HP Basketball, used to be at CBS Sports. He's now an NBA senior writer with the Action Network. Matt, how many times have you tweeted in your life? What are you up to? Uh, we're not going to talk about that. And like, please don't put that on my tombstone. Like, of all things, <laughs> don't let them put most prolific tweeter on my tombstone. Like, just that's all I ask. Even it's like, don't let them put that on my tombstone. Well, that your your HP basketball account has three hundred forty four thousand tweets. So, well, no, the problem there is that like I deleted a lot because I knew the number was getting up there. So I said on auto delete, trying to get my number down. Like that was the only reason I was deleting him. I wasn't like clearing out bad stuff. I was just like, oh, that's too high. And then I finally was like, oh, I can't do that. Like I got to keep them up. And now I'm like, oh God, that number is so horrible. Yeah. There's actually, there, there, there's a service that I use that uh, allows you to get rid of any uh, tweets that have curse words in them. Or I basically decided that I was going to delete everything from my pre-working career. So my number yeah. is probably lower than it should be. You got to be careful. You got to be careful with such yeah. things. But yeah, the number, uh, the number, I, I, the number, how much have I tweeted? I've tweeted a lot. Let's just say that. <laughs> But every tweet is better than the last one. That's the important thing. I mean, you're, you're constantly improving your game in terms of that and making sure that, that everybody gets the latest information. Obviously, the Action Network, you're covering the league, but also covering kind of the gambling side of the league, too. So we'll get into some of that. I want to start here with you because I had a premise. As you know, I'm kind of of a LeBron guy, Matt. So I had a premise before the playoffs started that his absence was going to be felt a lot more, I think, than people were saying at the time that, you know, just him being on – Instagram doing stories and drinking wine was not going to be enough for people that the NBA was going to have a hard time kind of replacing him because everybody is so used to everything being about him. It's about 
teams challenging him. It's about his own team imploding, whatever it is. Uh, but actually, last night I had kind of a different thought, and I was curious what you thought about it. Some of the moments we're seeing right now, whether it's Dame Lillard scoring 50 and, and a last-second shot or Giannis disposing of a, a weak opponent pretty quickly in the first round or some of the other guys you know, who are stars, but they're emerging as superstars, uh, maybe not at the LeBron level, but, but getting closer, that they have a little bit more room now because LeBron kind of sucks all the oxygen out of the room with the media. Do you see this as an opportunity? And on the whole, is this LeBron not being in the playoffs good or bad for the league? Mm. Uh, I think it's bad just because he's such a prolific player and we're drawn to superstars more than ever. Like if, if he was in instead of the Spurs, right? Like I think that would be beneficial. Like if it was LeBron versus the Nuggets, you would have this narrative where everybody was rooting now for Denver to kind of knock off LeBron um, as kind of like the Lakers versus the Nuggets. And then the Lakers would obviously have a huge following and it'd be about the Lakers and returning them to glory. And like, you better watch out because if they get past the Nuggets, like he just makes for more compelling storylines because we see in this, in that OKC series, like OKC Portland went five games, but based off of a lot of, of the numbers, if you look at including um, ratings, which are down, which I think that's partially because of LeBron, um, but also uh, a lot of the metrics, Portland o OKC was one of the more watched series and it was one of the most bet series. So like there's, there are metrics that kind of indicate a lot of interest in that series. That's a five game series. So why was it so, so popular? Well, it's because it's Dame versus Westbrook. It's Paul George and Westbrook and versus Dame. And so we're drawn to these superstars and having guys in that I think would be better. So I think having LeBron in it is better. But I do think this has always been the kind of thing with the playoffs and about parody and the whole conversation is we love these dominant concepts. But if you want to be able to grow and expand the league, you need to widen the, the kind of the, the spectrum, the band of the bandwidth of, of injury points for people in the league. Because like I've got casual friends that are like, Damian Lillard is awesome. Like my texts are blowing up this morning and I'm like, yeah, where, where y'all been? Like Damian's been <laughs> awesome for a long time. Like this is not new. Um, but it does, but these moments allow for these, these to be the conversations that we're having about Harden and, and Dame and, you know, for the five people that are watching Spurs Nuggets about Jokic or, um, you know, in the East, the, the, the four people watching Bucks Pistons is like, man, Giannis is a beast. There's more room, I think, for these other stars to grow. We saw this in the 90s, I think, with Jordan, where there were so many prolific, amazing Hall of Fame players that just really never got any oxygen because Jordan sucked up all of it. And so LeBron being out, I think, is allowing a little bit of room. Uh, and that would only increase if by some miracle the Warriors were to fall out. Now, all of a sudden, you'd have this wide open field of a rising new field of superstars in a league that really, honestly, right now is packed. I think with elite talent, which I think is going to happen next year when Kevin Durant, you know, leaves Golden State and, and goes somewhere else, and there's going to be this balance and really this lack of knowledge of who's actually going to win the championship. But, uh, but I, I agree with you, Matt, in, in terms of having seen all these different players that have that have gone through in these playoffs and have emerged because you really only can in the playoffs. When you say, well, where have you been on Damian Lillard? Well, they get swept out of the playoffs last year, and after four games, you don't get to see him anymore. And and I really do think that for the casuals in particular, you're checking into these playoffs, and I don't think that a league can really be viable um, in the full sense because people say all the time, well, the NBA is rooting for uh, Houston or, or, or Golden State against Boston because that's a big market. That's a team that has you know recognized ability. I, I really don't think that a league can truly be viable until 
a largesse of people are excited about Portland against Orlando in the final or some derivative that whatever you consider to be the Oklahoma City and Toronto, whatever you would consider to be uh, the lowest markets or, or the least popular markets. In, in the NBA, you don't really have a league until any of the 30 teams can be in the finals and you'd have a vast swath of the country, whether it is the United States or Canada, that would be really interested in it. And I think maybe you're going through some short-term pain because LeBron isn't in it and because the Golden State story isn't interesting anymore. Even though, I mean, Golden State for me is kind of the proof of needing this oxygen, needing new things to happen because if you had said six years ago, Golden State is in a playoff series. I don't think anyone would say that's a ratings draw, but almost organically by virtue of their style of play, by virtue of the winning that they did, and then obviously by adding Kevin Durant. But in and of itself, having Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green was not really a platform for rating success until they won 67 games, until they got to the finals, and then they became this team that everyone wanted to watch because there was this social media factory of their own highlights. So the oxygen has to be there for these teams to grow up and develop and exist. So now... When Portland is on television, people are excited to see them. When um, Toronto is on television, people are excited to see them. And and LeBron James, because of what he's done and what Golden State has done in the West, there's almost been room for nothing else. And so that that has been the fun part of these playoffs is watching Montrez Harrell having a playoff game changing performance is having is watching Derek White having a playoff game changing performance. You're seeing more of these guys have that, and that, I, I agree with Matt. In the long term, in, in the short term, it probably isn't, but in the long term, it will have to be a good thing for the NBA. Yeah, I think you know you, you use the word viable. I don't think viable is right word. I think optimized, and I said this for. A long time and that um the nba is, is always kind of caught in this kind of catch 22 which is like man they need like the big stars the big markets uh the biggest markets with the biggest stars in the finals so they have this huge draw and they make so much money off of the finals to draw in like this audience um and that's kind of true but it hurts you long term if it's that same thing every year and the what i've always said is what the nba has to try and get to is not, you're never gonna reach the NFL. That's never gonna happen, but you have to have something that is closer to it. Where I, I this is always the, the kind of line I put out there. In the NFL, cause I've been a football fan for for all my life. Like that was I, more than anything in sports, I started out as a football fan. And in the NFL, about 20 teams go into the season thinking if things break right, we can win the Super Bowl. Like maybe it's gonna take a lot, but we can do this. 20 teams out of 32. Like 12 teams are like, I don't know about this. We're in quarterback. Um, you know, the Dolphins are always one. But like <laughs> in general, like 20 teams are like, we can do this. Cheap in, shot, the NBA, Cheap shot. Cheap shot. in the NBA, it's usually for like common eras, non-Warriors eras, the list is really only four to five. And in Warriors era, it's been one. And like, if you want to, if you really want to get out there, you like, it's a hot take if you say two teams can win the title. This year, I think, is, is the first one that we've seen where there's kind of a little bit more momentum on, you know, maybe there's a wider a wider band here. But you have to get that because you got to have a reason. I run into so many casual fans, like even here in Denver, they're just like, why should I care about this game in February when there's 82 games and they're not going to win? They have no chance of winning the title. They have zero chance of winning the NBA championship. Why should I invest in this regular season game? And the fans that get it love it and they're great. 
But if the league is ever going to get to a, a even higher level where it moves clearly past baseball and moves into a space where it's n definably number two, I think it does have to occupy a space where these superstars are the draw, but it's also in pursuit of I'm back in this guy and I think they can win the title and it has to be a realistic belief. But for that to happen, somebody has to be polarizing, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's part of the thing with LeBron was he comes into the NBA and he's instantly polarizing because, I mean, he had the thing with the Hummer in high school and, yep. you know, people who don't like sort of kids getting ahead of the game didn't like him from the beginning. Then he became, I think, a very positive personality in part because of the way that Nike shaped him a little bit with the ads and him showing off his personality and had that for most of his time in Cleveland uh, until sort of the end. And then the walk off against the Celtics and everything else that kind of transpired there. And then obviously the decision ratcheted up to a new level. But I mean, you had, you felt a certain way about LeBron. The, the problem that I see with a lot of the other guys, and, and I guess maybe you don't know it until it starts to happen, but I, I don't know what that arc is going to be for a lot of them. Like Giannis, like is Giannis ever going to get to the point where anybody hates him? Like, yes. I, I you'd think so really? Yeah. So I, LeBron is another level. Okay. Because of his, his elite superstar because he was like, I always try and keep this in mind whenever LeBron says something that we're like, that's a little weird that he said that or people get mad about it is I'm like, this guy's never had a normal life. Like not one minute since he was like 12 has he had a normal, normal human existence. Um, it just nothing about his life has been normal. He's been a superstar since he was like 15. Um, but I do think that over time, because well, one, like, and you know this, Ethan, like the the money changes you and the attention and the microscope changes you like Westbrook used to be like an intense fun player. And now he's like the angriest person on the planet at all times. Chris Paul in 2008 was like the wonderful story of this humble, hardworking guy that just really worked hard in this market and played the right way. And now it's like, he's the scowling, screaming, too intense, blew up the Clippers. How good is Chris Paul really never made a Western Conference Finals or made it only once last year star. The, this stuff happens. It, there's like a relationship between the more success you have, the higher the microscope, the higher the microscope, the more you respond to that microscope. And the more you respond to that microscope, the hotter the attention becomes. And so with like Giannis, there will be people there like he's not that good and he'll respond to that. And he's also a trash talker. Like Giannis is, is a nasty dude on the floor. He's a sweetheart off the court, but he is a nasty dude when he gets on the floor. He's going to have that moment where people turn on him. And we've seen this arc before, like Dirk, everyone turned on. And then it was like, oh, the guy like got like completely destroyed in 2007, 2007. And so that made his 2011 run all the more special as a redemption story. Same as it was with LeBron. Like LeBron's arc is fascinating because he went from anointed to awesome to the failure to a deeper failure in 2011. He brought back, he came back with a better attitude and a great publicist in 2012 mm -hmm. and had a great redemption arc for the, what, five years in between 2012 and 2016. Gets the title in Cleveland. Disappointing end where people were still like, yeah, but he's great. And like, look what he does with the school and everything. He goes to LA and now he's the villain again. And so like, there's this continuing arc of him going up and down. And, and I think that LeBron will always be separate because of that. But I do think that we're going to see other stars. And KD's the next one. Like KD was beloved, the humble superstar in OKC. And then he joins the Warriors. And now it's like just he's the lamest player in the league, despite being probably the best player in the league. If he leaves next year and joins any sort of franchise 
that and makes them cool and interesting and he wins at a significant level, he's going to go right back up. So these arcs are always in this flow of an up and down roller coaster. And the, to me, the, the math that's in the NBA's favor in this regard is that there's only one winner. And so everyone else kind of gets to be, you know, choker at some point. Like Steph Curry, even after winning the winning the championship three times, is still kind of like, well, is he good in big moments? I mean, James Harden, by virtue of his sizable failures, has had significant narrative arcs over the course of his career. Because of the fact that there's only one winner, there's always going to be a disappointment. Like you look at the East playoffs, and we'll get to it in depth here in a moment. But think of the think of the narrative arcs for the three failures in in the East. Because there's only going to be one team that comes out. So uh, for Milwaukee, you know, maybe if Giannis goes out in this round, it's well, how good is he really? Can, can mm-hmm. you know? Can, can you lead? Is is he potentially going to lead because the team around him isn't good enough? For Boston, it's wait a second, you've done all this. Is Kyrie Irving going to leave? And what have you built over the course of the last few years? With Philadelphia, it's this process, and all you've all you've produced for after four years of losing is two second round exits, and maybe you know you've cashed everything in for two guys that are going to leave in the summer. Uh, for Toronto, it's they've gone all all in on. Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard could potentially leave and go to Los Angeles so because of the fact that there's only one winner there is always going to be these new things that are popping up everywhere and that is going to allow the NBA to continually have this machine the the strongest machine in the NBA is the narrative machine even as the analysis has gotten smarter there's always going to be particularly on social media conversations about the shortcomings of players and I think that's where the polarization comes in is I think people don't respond well particularly in basketball to the individual stars that have one and so I think that that pressure on those players to win particularly if there is indeed a vacuum uh, left behind by LeBron James as the clear standout best player that in the search of a best player you know this year it'll probably be Giannis's MVP but in the search of that best player that player will probably end up having shortcomings that allow the narrative machine to get going so I, I think that that polarization comes for me as virtue of losing and everyone except for one team loses so i think i think that i think that polarization will continue to be created we'll get back to our episode here in a second but first I want to tell you about a great new sponsor of the five reasons sports network and that is shipyourcarnow.com these guys can move any car boat rv motorcycle or equipment anywhere you need worldwide you have a business and need to ship freight or machinery call them college moves new car used car buying the toy you've looked at for a while Call them. These guys can ship it all, so give them a call. Here's the number, 1-800-264-4644. That's 1-800-264-4644, or visit shipyourcarnow.com backslash five reasons. Also, make sure to mention five reasons on the phone. I wish, look, I wish they'd they'd had this when I was going to college. This would have been great for me. I needed to get my car down from Baltimore to Florida. I ended up taking the auto train. You don't want to take the auto train. Ship your car, fly. No job too big or too small. Ship your car now moves it all. Harden is, I think, the best example of this. Wait, look, they're going to face the – they're probably. <laughs> I don't want to cash it in yet because Utah's being a pain. But Harden's probably going to face the Warriors. And if he gets past the Warriors, it's James Harden is the best player in the NBA. And the Rockets are on pace for a title, unless he loses to the Bucks, in which case, all right, you beat the Warriors when their chemistry was broken, but once again, you failed to come up with the biggest moment. Um, if he loses to the Warriors, it's you know you I, the the flopping, um, yeah, horrible to watch. Nobody nobody likes watching him. 
you can't win with this style. Isolation ball can't win. Every single round, this is one of the things, the playoffs are amazing and it's intense and the matchups are fascinating. Like as a guy that loves basketball, the strategy and the way that these things play out and the matchups are just amazing to watch. But to me, the narratives, because of, of everything heightened with social media, is exhausting because every single game is a referendum. And we're saying that this morning. Russell Westbrook has, was never good. He's an inefficient shucker that never can win, that only won because of Kevin Durant. And it's like, guys, like he went to four Western Conference Finals, and a lot of the seasons, like he was the better player, honestly, than Durant. Like he, His jumper completely abandoned him this year after knee surgery. He has a really bad attitude and needs a, ref- self, a, a summer of self-reflection. I've said this consistently in the last couple of weeks. Like Westbrook needs a, a summer like LeBron had in 2011, where he locks himself in his home and watches the game tape over and over and over again, and then hires a great publicist, shaves his beard, and comes back as a better guy and a better player. Um, but like every single game is a referendum on everyone. And that's really exhausting when we're trying to deal with the fact that only one team wins. I always think about college and like it's college and then they're amateurs and they're kids. So I get it. It's just funny to me that it's like we anoint like, hey, he's got four final four appearances. That coach has got four final four appearances. How great is he? Scott Brooks had four final four, four appearances in the NBA over a six year span and got canned and is considered a terrible coach. Like, Final four in the NBA doesn't mean squat uh, versus if you win four games in, in the NCAA tournament, you're all of a sudden an elite coach. Um, and that's like the differential in these things. So I always kind of keep my try and keep perspective on these things. Um, I do think that as we talk about this, if the Warriors have kind of a downturn and with LeBron and the Lakers, just a tire fire. Um, that there's really an opportunity here for maybe more diversity in the storylines. I think that would also be really good for the league that maybe we could reach a place where it's like, well, okay, he won, but then he won, he, like he lost, but he won the next year. And like that team won, but then they lost the next year. And like, maybe there's multiple, maybe there's multiple teams and players that are good. What a crazy No, thought. no, there can't be. There can only be one, Matt. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> But but see, Matt, here's my question. I I understand that we're going to have other narratives and and guys like Harden are polarizing for a number of different reasons. But I think where the league's really going to feel it is the finals. Yeah. Now, I mean, the first round, look, we knew that the first round would be there were going to a bunch of dog matchups, particularly in the Eastern Conference. Right. Like, I mean, we got the form, you know, we got the two matchups we expected. I didn't expect any of the four series to be close. They weren't. I mean, that's about as bad as it's been. There's one year recently that I think was pretty close to that. But to me, the issue is a lot of people don't show up to watch the NBA until like June <laughs> and there ain't going to be LeBron there. And I, yeah. I to me, it, it's not the diehards. It's not the three of us. Like the three of us appreciate the, the even, you know, the two matchups that we're got coming up in the Eastern Conference. We're going to break them down. But I think it's the it's, it's the casuals who are like, OK, I, you know, they haven't been following the Lillard or Harden narrative arcs over the past couple months or the past few years. And they're kind of like this Giannis guy's from Greece. Like, do I relate? You know, I, I, that, to me, that's, you know, Kawhi doesn't smile. Like I, they're, I think for the casual fan, like, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to be gender specific here too, but I, I think there are a lot of sort of, you know, guys who watch the game, watch, you know, league pass and all the rest of this. And then they sort of bring others into it. When you get to the finals, let's watch the finals same together. Oh, there's LeBron. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, is he still with some, I mean, I don't want, again, I don't want to characterize, but I've experienced a lot of this. Okay. Like, and I'm just wondering, like, are the casual NBA fans going to care about Milwaukee, Houston? Can you bring them out at that stage? I think, well, let's go down a couple of uh, paths, right? So let's say, <clears throat> let's, let's go ahead and take your first example. Let's say it's, it's, uh, it's Houston, Milwaukee. 
I think that the first game, yeah, you're going to feel it. But that's also probably a more balanced series, right? Like, we saw the finals dip huge last year. Everyone's whole, like, well, Golden State just brings everybody in, so they're not bad. And then it was like, no, there's there's diminishing returns here. Eventually, people get tired of seeing the Warriors kick LeBron's tail up and down the street. Like, that gets boring after a little while when you're just watching the Warriors up 20 in what's supposed to be, like, the best series, in which case, you know, of the finals. Um, but Bucks houston even though I think that the Bucks would probably win that series and might honestly dominate it, um, that would be two MVP candidates, right? Like there's a little bit of buzz there. It's like these. This is one and two in the MVP. No, no question about it. These guys are finishing one and two in MVP, going against each other. Harden has drawn, I think, a little bit of attention because one, people know him from OKC. Two, they know him as the flopping flopper who flops. Um, and he's divisive in that it's like he plays this style. And, and he's also the guy with the beard. Yeah, he's the guy with the beard. <laughs> like my mom knows him as like the guy with exactly. the beard. Exactly. And, and so you would have like, oh, I hate that guy because all he does is flop versus like Giannis. Um, who would, you would have like the super tough guys or like the, the, the basketball guys be like, that guy can't win. He's not a shooter. Can't shoot. They're, they're going to beat him. You could beat Giannis. He can't shoot. So you'd have like that little bit of a draw as people debate. Like I, cause my, all my analysis, I get so into the weeds, but I draw this line where I don't ever cross into this level of here's how they run horns. And let's look at this floppy. And the reason I don't <laughs> do that is I still want the stuff that I write and the stuff I talk about to be the stuff that I used to debate with friends when I was at the bar. And so I think that like, who do you think is better, Harden or Giannis? Like that's a debate you can have at the bar. So I think that can draw viewers in. I agree with you that it would be low in the beginning, but I think if it was a longer series, it draws out. Now, if it's Boston, everything changes. That's a marquee franchise that everyone identifies with. They know Kyrie Irving from the finals. They've got Gordon Hayward. There's Marcus Smart. Uh, there's uh, you know, no one cares about Al Horford. I love him, but no one cares about him. But there's all these guys on there, right? Like that's an identifiable team, at least as far as Kyrie Celtics. Like that's an identifiable team. Um, if you got them versus Houston, that's a, a, I think a more compelling dynamic because of that. If Golden State advances and it's Golden State versus the Bucks, it, that would be a competitive series. If Milwaukee steals, I think it would be. If Milwaukee steals game one or game two, I think that there would be low interest going in. But if Milwaukee steals game one or game two, the entire sports world is going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. They just took home court from the Warriors, and now you got a series. And at the end, I do think there's still going to be a draw. As much as it's narrative, as much as it's the storylines, as much as it's the drama, at the end of this, people do want to watch a good game. And that's what's been missing from the finals really the last four years outside of three games in 2016 is that there hasn't been a lot of drama in the games themselves. I think there's a higher capacity for that this year, which can make up for it if the series goes longer. What you can't have is you can't have Toronto-Golden State where Golden State beats them by 30 in games one and two. Then you're in a bad spot. We'll get back to today's episode in a second, but first I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors here in the Five Reason Sports Network, and that is the attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg. Find them at onecalllegal.com. That's O-N-E, calllegal.com, or actually call 855 855- 5,000 Law, L-A-W. They handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, and any personal injury matters. Additionally, if you mention five reasons, they will handle your traffic ticket for $44.99 with a new 15,000 square foot office opening on I-95 in North Miami. They will handle cases all over South Florida. Call now with 24-7 service for a free consultation. OneCallLegal.com or 855 855- 5,000 Law. The attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg, a proud sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network. 
Yeah, so let's start with that. Let's go to the Eastern Conference. And, and today, you know, I did something. I went back to my BetDSI.com account, and I put some money on the Celtics. And for Ooh. exactly the reason that you talked about, because I, I feel, and I understand what the Bucks' point differential is. Chris and I have talked about that a lot here on the pod and how good they are and how Jason Kidd gets another job in the NBA is beyond me because the <laughs> roster isn't that different. I mean, Brooke, Brooke Lopez, but other than that, it, it looks pretty similar to me to a lot of what he was coaching before. But my thing is that Boston, when their guys are going well, has the most talent in the conference, I think, still. Um, and they also have a guy who, while not a personal favorite of mine, uh, is a favorite of Chris's in terms of what he does in the playoffs, which is Kyrie has done it. He's taken those shots. He's made those shots. They can rely on him as long as he's healthy in those situations. I thought some of the, the younger players played better in the first round than we see them play through a lot of the postseason. And they remind me a lot of some of the Heat teams that I covered. Uh, maybe not as accomplished, but look, the Heat was not a number one seed when they went and beat Indiana. Okay, Indiana was the best team that year. Okay, The Heat kind of limped in. I even go back to the 2006 playoffs where I didn't like the team that Riley put together, and they played a Pistons team that was better during the regular season by a significant margin. It wasn't that close, and the Heat beat them in the playoffs or in the Eastern Conference Finals and, and got to the Finals, and obviously with behind Dwayne, won the championship. I just they Boston strikes me as a team where I thought either it was going to completely implode on them early, and I don't know if Indiana was the opponent to test them without Oladipo, or if they started to get a little confidence and sort of figured out kind of what the roles were and Hayward started to play a little better and Kyrie was still healthy and you're still getting what you get out of Horford, that to me, they have the potential to be the best team in the Eastern Conference. Am I, and they're getting, I don't know what the numbers that you're looking at, but I think it was plus 230 to win the series. It's a pretty good number in my eyes. How do you view that one? The value's on the Celtics. Like I, the value has to be on Boston. Um, you know, they're, they're plus 240 at Westgate. I've seen them as high as plus 300 at some places that's incredible value i think they're plus 300 to win the east and if you think they beat beat milwaukee you might as well put some down and then they win the east too i get in plus 300 there um that value is, is is really good just because Kyrie's obviously raised it to another level they figured out their rotation the guys are playing really well this matchup's fascinating um in the first matchup between these two teams i thought it was going to be like the tale of what we we're going to see this year where milwaukee was really good but boston was always looming is like yeah but they got the edge in this matchup because boston was able to hurt them so much with al horford picking and popping and hurting brooke lopez's space lopez has been so phenomenal for them not only with hitting threes from 35 feet on spot ups but also protecting the rim the bucks are the best team in the league at protecting the paint and if you can get him out of the off the floor like that's an incredible advantage to you um, what's been interesting though, is that the bucks throughout the year, and I give Mike Budenholzer a lot of credit because one of the things that he struggled with in Atlanta was kind of finding new solutions. as The season went on, he had like one way of doing things and that was it. But both the, uh, John horse general manager and Budenholzer both made adjustments in season where they started playing more small ball. And in the subsequent matchups with Boston, they went to more Giannis at the five. So you're able to counter that a little bit more now. And if they're still able to get the Brook Lopez on the floor for 15 minutes when Aaron Baines plays, those are going to be 15 minutes that the Bucs are going to win. And that's going to decide this series. Um, the Bucs have the personnel on the perimeter to contain Jason Tatum, to give Terry Rozier a hard time, to, to battle Gordon Hayward. And then if they can win the matchups with Horford and figure out a way to just survive Irving, then they're going to be in great shape because the Bucs offense is so elite. You know, 
Boston's got a great defense and they can switch everything and cause problems. But the problem is when you have a guy like Giannis, Giannis is a guy that, that who's saying that they want you to do the switch. Like most teams are like, oh, I hope we don't switch this. The Bucks are like, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Please switch. Please switch. All we want is is a guy with that it doesn't have Giannis's physical capabilities on him, whether it's a big that's too slow or a guard that's too small, and he'll just get to the rim. This is a situation where if Giannis is the MVP and he's the player that we think he is, he can dominate this matchup because Boston's going to try and switch everything to contain their shooters, which is going to open up the lane for Ryan and Combo to get to the rim. There are a lot of ways that this matchup tilts Milwaukee. There's a reason that most of the numbers in terms of the series results, like the most likely result in terms of what Vegas's odds are, uh, is actually uh, Bucks and five. That's got the best odds. Uh, Bucks and six has the, has the second highest at four to one. Um, there's a lot of reason to think that, that Milwaukee is going to dominate this matchup. I don't think they will because I've been around the block a few times and I've seen things like this where it's like, they were the better team all year. Yeah, but the other team is Boston, and we thought they were better going in, and they have Kyrie. But it's going to be really fascinating to see how it turns out because I did reach a point in January where I started wondering with the Bucks, like, are we overthinking this? Like, they've been better than everybody. Like, they've just been better than everybody. They have the second-best record versus the Western Conference, and that's only because they lost to the Suns twice. They have the best net rating in the league versus the Western Conference. Like, they've beaten great teams, everybody, and they've done it consistently. So this is an opportunity for put up or shut up for both of these teams. Yeah, and and it kind of the the Milwaukee Boston thing is kind of the ultimate challenge of what for me has happened. Um, going back to oddly enough, a Mike Boonholzer team, the 2014-15 Hawks, mm-hmm. where I had I bought into their regular season success and what they had done, and it just you discovered that there's a difference between playoff players and regular season players, and and the skill sets that it takes, and I think Boston the one strength that they have is they're probably a bad regular season roster, right? And we saw that happen this year where they couldn't find any measure of consistency. They couldn't find any uh, measure of cohesion. And yet in the playoffs, it's kind of come together because they just have playoff players. And that for me is the greatest strength that Kyrie Irving has the players that his game is perfectly suited towards the playoffs. But the one thing that I just looking at this matchup is that both of these teams are equally good defensively and Boston yeah. Boston's defense has been a, a great equalizer for them because their offense just isn't that good. It wasn't that good in the regular season. It hasn't been it wasn't that good in that Indiana series from an offensive rating standpoint. And you just look at the shot selection. I was watching a bit of their games uh, with Indiana this morning and you just look at Jason Tatum in particular. Like his is a mid-range game. Like whatever whatever Kobe Bryant was teaching him in the offseason, it it's mid-range game. That's his game right now. It's just not enough for me driving towards rim and not en- and not enough on the perimeter. Uh, obviously Kyrie has his step back three, which is just such a killer. But I think all- the offensive firepower that Milwaukee has shown in the regular season and in the postseason should be enough for them to get past Boston. The only reason why I'm not more confident in it is because of the playoff skills that Boston have in their team and how, in some respects, Milwaukee, by virtue of having played Detroit in the first round, you're basically playing four extra regular season games. You haven't really seen them in a playoff-like environment against a playoff-caliber defense like Boston has. So um, I'm going I'm going to go against my principles here and lean Milwaukee just because I think 
they're equal defensively, and Milwaukee just has so much more on offense. But I would not be surprised if this if this series gets dragged into the mud. It's games that are, are you know shockingly played below a hundred points because that's just the yeah that that was the way that Boston played that first round with Indiana, and it would be such a surprise to see this NBA played games below a hundred. But I wouldn't be that surprised if if in, if Milwaukee was forced to play Boston's game rather than the other way around. But I still think Milwaukee, by virtue of Giannis, by virtue of what Matt said, by by, by being able to take advantage of those switches, are just going to dominate this series in that respect and Milwaukee go on and win it. Ethan, why, why do you think that Boston are, are, are favorites in your opinion? I mean, to me, it just it just reminds me of other series that we've seen. And you mentioned one of them. Uh, you know, Atlanta Cleveland is another one that jumps out to me, right? Like I covered that series and the Hawks were unbelievable. I mean, the Hawks basically had five all-stars. I mean, <laughs> you know, Damari Carroll was the best player on the team in the second half of the season and he wasn't even an all-star that year. And everybody was talking about their ball movement and how the pieces fit perfectly. And then they just got destroyed by a team, you know, that had better talent. Now, I know in this case that the best player is on Milwaukee. I get that. So it's not like, you know, LeBron being the best player on Cleveland. But again, I go back to, you know, 06 and that team that I covered with the Heat that just looked dysfunctional all year. The pieces didn't fit. Nobody sort of knew their roles. Um, you know, they were trying to incorporate Antoine Walker and James Posey and Jason Williams. And Shaq wasn't really that happy. You know, people forget that now. But he wasn't really that happy that Dwayne was emerging or had emerged. And and then, you know, they just, you know, they played a Detroit team that that was a better team during the regular season. And all of a sudden it all clicked. It came together. And I, I just, I, I look at Boston and they have what you need, right? They have wing defenders. They have a versatile big and they have a killer in the clutch and they play defense. And so as long as you have those things, if Brad Stevens, and I'm going to put this on Brad Stevens because and I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Matt, because uh, there's a lot of sort of resentment towards Brad Stevens and the Miami Heat fan base. And I, I think it's because there's a feeling, and I know you have felt this over time too, that Eric Spolster hasn't really gotten enough credit over the years. And yet Brad Stevens was anointed without winning a playoff series. But yep. it was like, Eric Spolster is not that good because he got to coach LeBron and Dwayne. So there's a lot of resentment in the Heat fan base towards Stevens. But look, I look at it this year. I don't think he had a great year putting this thing together. And to me... If he is the coach that everybody says he is, scheme up Giannis in this series. Make somebody else, whether it's going to be Lopez, whether it's going to be Bledsoe, whether it's going to be Middleton, but make somebody else beat you. Like This is where, to me, if Brad Stevens is the guy, if he is the next pop, win this series against this team. Because I still think one through seven, the Celtics have better players. I do. I just They obviously don't have the best player. But I think after that first player, you can make an argument that they maybe have, you know, two through four, certainly something close to it. And and I think this is a big series for Brad Stevens. So many thoughts. So many thoughts. Okay. So let's start here. Uh, the 2015 Hawks comparison, I think, is really is really fascinating. And one of the issues with that series, um, we have to remember, one, that team was so beat up and exhausted by the end. They have struggled with what I called the fountain of sadness nets in the first round. <laughs> like, that Nets team was pitiful and miserable, and they dragged them out to, I think, six or seven games. Then they should have lost to the Wizards in round two, but John Wall broke his wrist. So that was like the, – the Hawks at that point were just held together with tape. You remember Corver got hurt in that series too, and that was a huge turning point in that series. They got swept because Budenholzer at that point was so set on, we got to limit LeBron. we got to stop LeBron. we got to throw everything at LeBron, and they left shooters open, which – if you tell LeBron, hey, we're not we're not going to let you score 40, but you're going to have to have 15 assists, LeBron's like, cool, I'm still going to get 30, and I'm going to have 15 assists. It was the exact wrong way to do it. 
Boonholzer's been a different coach this year. He's really impressed me with how he's improved in terms of, of getting, uh, doing more adjustments and things like that. Um, second point with, as far as Stevens goes, my only thing is, and I've been working on this all year is I don't really know how you scheme versus this Milwaukee team because the five out thing, like the Hawks, like they, you know, they play said ball movement, but they didn't have Giannis and that ability they've com- like, this team has combined the principles of what he had in 2015 with a singular player that can dominate his physical matchup. If you stay home on those shooters, you have to have a guy that can keep Giannis from getting to the rim. And you say like, well, you just drop on him and make him a shooter. He's not going to shoot. He's going to go through you. You're going to drop and he's going to Euro step around you. And you may draw three charges against him and get him in foul trouble. He's still coming back in that fourth quarter and he's still going to be a danger to get to the rim and dunk all over you. So you better bring help. And if you bring help, he has been a phenomenal passer this year to willing and ready shooters. And that to me is like the differential here is, they are able to, to break you in a way that Boston, I don't think, is. Kyrie is going to be basically in the same zone he always is. You're going to have to, to stop my contested step-back jump shots. And Kyrie's going to hit a ton of them. And he's going to make incredible layups. And he's going to do all of this. And there's going to be opportunities for Horford to hit some threes. And he's going to hit some threes. And they're going to win a few games in this series. I don't think this is going five. I do think, however, that over time, the other weapons for Boston, which have been Gordon Hayward, who hasn't been right all year, is looking good, but still is an awkward fit on this team. Um, Marcus Morris, who, okay, you know, spin the wheel. Let's see what you get. Um, Terry Rozier, who's been a nightmare this year outside of that first round matchup versus the Pacers. And maybe he's ready to come in and have a big series. They're going to have to keep up offensively, which is something that Chris kind of alluded to. But Chris, you mentioned like you think that this is going to be, they're going to drag this down. I actually think the opposite. I think the overs are going to be a really good play in this series. And here's why. In the one, in the, the win that Boston got versus Milwaukee early on in the season, they took 55 three pointers. Jesus. The most of their season by far, by nine more. They made 24. The Milwaukee Bucks, their one defensive scheme, they try and target you to get three-point attempts from your worst three-point shooters. They specifically, they don't just give you whatever three-pointer you want. They try and give up three-pointers to the guys that they're willing to give them up to. But if Boston keeps moving the ball, you can get three-point attempts up on this team. And likewise, Boston's going to do everything it can to limit Milwaukee's three-pointers. But here's a key. In that first-round series versus, versus Detroit, which no one watched because why would you? Giannis didn't play all that great. He had 23 points per game out before game four on 52% shooting, which is good for anybody else along with 13 rebounds. But for Giannis, it's kind of a quiet game. He only played 27 minutes a game. He didn't have a dominant series because he didn't need to. They've rested him all year. He's played so many fewer minutes than all the other stars because they haven't had to play him. And they still killed all these teams whenever he was on the bench because they have so many shooters and Bledsoe, Middleton, et cetera, playing at such a high level. The Bucks have a lot more firepower and weapons than Boston has. And that I think is going to be one of the keys to the series is Boston's going to have to figure out a way to keep up with Milwaukee. That to me is going to be how the series plays out. All right, let's go to the next series here in the Eastern conference, which I, I think you know everybody was anticipating for a long time. And there's some stuff that hangs over this series too, because we don't know where Kawhi Leonard's going to be next year. Although it certainly seems like the Clippers are a pretty good option there. And we don't really know where Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris are going to be next year either. Um, you know, because I, I just, it seems hard for me to believe, although we had Mark Stein on last week and he says everybody in Philadelphia is saying they're going to keep all four guys. So we'll see. Uh, he doesn't think that's necessarily 
going to happen. Um, I, I put out something this week, and again, Heat fans related to this. I find the Sixers to be incredibly unlikable. Um, am, am I, is that just because I was covering a Heat Sixers series last year? Or I mean, this team, I mean, they have a, a ton of talent, obviously. They don't have the shooters that they had last year beyond Redick. But I, I don't know. They just... I, we talk about a polarizing team. Like I feel like the Sixers could be that because um, they are irritating at times. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I haven't liked the Sixers team all year. I just don't like their vibe. Um, look at the kind of guys that they have. Like Embiid's a guy that if you like him, you love him. But he talks so much trash. He's way out in front of like he he writes checks that he has not cashed yet. And we've seen the the, the pushback from Westbrook on that, right? Like Westbrook's tra- talking trash to Dame the entire series while Dame's, you know, beating him up and down the floor. The Sixers were talking trash to a Nets team that took game one off of them and played them close in three of the four four first games before surrendering in game five. Um, And they were running down, you know, like the sixth seed. Like, what are you doing? Like, just take care of business. Like, this team is, is below you. Okay. You know, there's no reason to be laughing at them and running them down constantly while you're giving Jared Allen, like, flagrant fouls all over the place. Simmons has an attitude. Jimmy Butler, we know, has an attitude. Um, this team doesn't necessarily play all that much together. I don't know how much they like one another. Like, this is a really interesting series because I don't know how much either of these teams, like, really have great chemistry. The Raptors play awesome together. Um, they're well coached. They're professionals. The, the, the Raptors have a very – this is a weird comparison because the Heat were so, like, Hollywood. But you remember, like, the 2011 team and how much it was, it was all, like, business? Like, that was their motto. I asked them going into their season, like, what's the motto? And, like, all business. The Raptors are all business. I don't think Kyle Lowry likes Kawhi Leonard all that much. I don't think he likes Marcus All that much. I don't think Marcus All likes either of those guys. I don't think either. I don't think Marcus All, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus All like anybody all that much. I think Danny Green likes everyone. Danny Green just gets along with everybody. Um, but I think those guys don't have great chemistry, but they play really well together because they're all professionals. I think that's going to be the gap in this series: is that the Sixers are super talented, but they're not necessarily the best professionals. Uh, the Raptors maybe aren't as talented but they're super professional and they play better together. I think this is going to be a wake up call. Cause I don't necessarily know. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I think I took Raptors in six. I lean a lot towards this might go five. If, if Toronto can hold home court in those first two games, I like Toronto to win in five a lot more than I did. You know, maybe when I first looked at the matchup uh, from, I, I, I get the off court thing just because I think Ben Simmons has a pretty, I don't know if stand, standoffish is the right word, but just sort of not very engaging personality uh, and beat obviously the way that he runs his mouth and Jimmy Butler is just kind of the well-known, let's just say an <laughs> the league. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know other than that, what's like, I mean, I guess Tobias Harris is fine and Boban is kind of the, lo- the, the, the lovable giant, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've been an unlikable team all year. The one thing that I, I did notice in the Brooklyn series that gives me a bit of hope with them is obviously Ben Simmons is not shooting, but I do think, and, and Brett Brown has gotten, has gotten a lot of criticism and a lot of it deserved this year for kind of failing to put it together almost as much as Brad Stevens got criticism for failing to put it together. But I do think the way that they use Simmons in that series makes sense as a formula going forward. Obviously, him attacking a defender that's 15 feet away from him is fundamental 
for Philadelphia winning in a series. But I think also using him out of the post makes a ton of sense, particularly if he's the ball handler, bringing the ball up the court against smaller players. Um, Using him as a screener makes a ton of sense. And him as a roll guy, I mean, the number of opportunities that he got after setting a screen and then rolling towards the rim and having the ball in his hands with the opportunity to make a play, it's kind of like what Golden State does with Draymond Green, except better because Ben Simmons is a better playmaker. So I do think there are things that they can do offensively that will allow them to stay in this series. I think this is going to be a very close series, probably the closest of the three major ones that we're talking about, because I think Philly has that talent level to stay with Toronto. And I think to be able to win these games and make big shots at the end of games and and have multiple players that can do that, they've they've rested and beat throughout that first round. Obviously, his health is a major factor. But I think some of the things they figured out in that Brooklyn series are going to be important for them going forward, because ultimately it's about how do you maximize the talents of four really good players. Again, if we're doing a draft of the best players in the series, Philly's got, what, four of the best six? maybe four of the best seven if you include Siakam, but uh, Philly is going to have a chance as long as they have those talents, and I think they at least went some way in that Brooklyn series to figure out how to pull it up, put it all together. So it's interesting because it's like you, you talked about like if we're drafting the best players, I probably agree with you, but if I'm drafting the players I want on my side in the playoff series, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know that I'm with you on four of the seven. Okay. I think I lean more towards Toronto. Toronto's got guys that I think are going to make your team better rather than just being individual talents, and you got to be able to play together, and part of this is I, I'm 100% with you on how to use Simmons. And it's fr- it's been frustrating for everybody that watches it. Like when Simmons was a prospect at LSU, I wrote a whole thing on CBS about the best outcome for Ben Simmons is that he's super, like he is nuclear Draymond Green, mm-hmm. where you get him in the short roll off of the, off of the pick and roll. He screens short roll and then he's downhill versus help defenders coming. And with his passing, he can make that pass to either corner to a, the cutting dunker spot or he could just rise up and dunk over guys. That's like a, the best way to use him. They don't do that. They just don't. They used it, I think, three times in the series versus the Nets. Um, like I'm looking at it right now. Like he's got he he generated two possessions off of out of the pick and roll man um, with the, versus that series with the Nets. That matchup with the Nets, there was a lot of, of scenarios there where Brooklyn um, had an opportunity to win some of those games because of their three point advantage because the net, uh, the Sixers were 19th and three point rate. They just don't take as many threes. However, you also have to look at this, and if you're like, well, look at what they did in that first-round series, and look at really the talent they were facing defensively, because the Sixers' offensive rating in that series was absurd, and they played great. But part of that is Joel Embiid was being guarded by Jarrett Allen, and then when Ed Davis went out, it was Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Jared Dudley. Now he's going to have Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol. Different deal. You talked about Ben Simmons. He's going against the, the one weakness for the Nets is they don't have a lot of really great wing players. Damari Car- Carroll's just been had so many injuries. He's not the same guy. And then they had to run a lot of three-guard lineups with Karis LeVert, Spencer Dimwitty, and De- D'Angelo Russell. None of those guys can handle Simmons. You know who can't handle Simmons? Pascal Siakam. So you look at all the matchups across the board in this in this series, and like you're like, wow, like the 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 Raptors just have so many counters. It's like, well, Jimmy Butler can take can take over a game. Can he do that consistently with Kawhi Leonard on him? Is that something that he can do? You know, um, you know, Joel Embiid can have a huge game. Well, he struggles in the double team, and Marcus Saul is not going to give him the baseline. So what's going to happen there? Like, there's just a lot of ways in which the Raptors have such better personnel than Brooklyn. I think the Sixers' offense is going to come back to earth, and their defense versus Brooklyn wasn't great. I think they're way more vulnerable, I think, than maybe that first round series made them look. All right, let's go to the Western Conference now. And and I, I want to just do this, you know, in one shot here in totality. So sure. 
you have Golden State, and they're not quite what they were. Um, Cousins doesn't look like he's going to be available to them the rest of, of the postseason, so you don't have that advantage. You've gone back to Bo- to Bogut. Um, you know, Durant has been a killer the past couple of games, and you anticipate that that continues, but that's, you know, his status is still kind of hanging over them. And Curry's always sort of a turned ankle away from from trouble. But look at the other teams that are still alive, and I, we're going to put Utah to the side because I don't think that's going to be much longer. Is it really Houston? Is that the one? I mean, could you see any scenario where a Denver or San Antonio or a Portland pushes the Warriors, or is it just really just about this series and whether or not the Rockets who don't have some of the defenders they had last year are ready to do this. Here's where I think is amazing about the West. Houston has the, has the only chance of anybody versus golden state. Um, it's great. that Portland, uh, that Dame had his moment versus Russ and shut him up and, had another incredible game winner and an amazing 50 point performance. They have zero shot versus the Warriors. They don't match up in any capacity. Enos Cantor will be played off of the planet. He will be played into the deepest reaches of space versus the Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, Mo Harkless isn't going to knock down as many open shots. Aminu hit a ton of open shots in that series. Great performance by Portland, not really sustainable. Uh, Denver can't beat Golden State. They don't have the defensive personnel. As They're a better defensive team than people think, but they just, I mean, the Warriors are Kevin Durant. The Warriors are Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and there's just not a lot you can do there. Um, they have small guards versus Clay Thompson. It's just a bad matchup for Denver overall. Houston can beat Golden State. Houston can 100% beat Golden State. I'm picking Houston to beat Golden State. I'm going to pick Houston to beat Golden State. I think Golden State's at the end of its run. I think they're ready to go. I think they're, they're tired of, how this, of all this. I think they're tired of the Kevin Durant stuff. Um, I would love to put money on the Warriors to win the 2020 title. Because I think after Durant leaves, everyone's going to go like, oh, yeah, this team with Curry and Clay and Draymond when they're motivated is really good. Um, but I think that, that Houston's going to beat Golden State. What's funny, though, is Portland can beat Houston. Even now, Portland can beat the Rockets. The Rockets going into these playoffs, I always said this, were more vulnerable to teams outside Golden State than they were to Golden State, who they match up incredibly well with because their entire team is designed to counter them. And for some weird reason, Golden State goes into that matchup. Like they lean into it. I have never seen a team get as far away from what makes it great as Golden State does versus the Rockets. All of the ball movement, all of the, the motion, all of forcing these teams to, to bring help. They just go away from it when Rockets switch. The Rockets switch them and they're just like, well, I guess Kevin Durant's going to have to take a contested mid range too. What? What are you doing? Just play your game, man. But they lean into it and the Rockets have enough talent and they're healthy enough. They can beat the Warriors. But then, Portland because of the way that they play and they're so they've got the the three-point abilities and the athleticism and a singular star in Dame they can get past Houston Denver I think honestly is as talented as Houston is but the problem is Denver just doesn't match up like they're just they just do not have the matchup capability it's been the worst matchup Houston's not that much better than Denver but they don't have the matchup capability so the realities are the only teams that can come out of the west are Portland Houston and Golden State and it's probably going to be Golden State because they're the better team but I'm taking Houston because I think they're gonna get past them and then that series versus Portland I've said this all year I really think that that's a toss-up and that becomes a a really fascinating series that the Western Conference Finals is Houston Portland it's gonna be a fascinating series that seven of us will watch (laughs) right exactly it's it's never gonna be the least fancied series of of, of the four by some distance but uh, I've I, I watch enough Golden State to think that that team is still in there. I think you saw some of the performances against the Clippers, particularly KD in Game 3, um, when he just absolutely went off that. You're right. When the, when Golden State does their stuff, when they, when they do what makes them great, there's no beating them. There just isn't. And so 
as much as last playoff series and this year's regular season matchup, matchup seem to indicate that Golden State becomes a different team when they play Houston, um, I think at a certain point, just as they found it before, they found the answers. Sometimes it takes them later than you want them to, but Golden State eventually finds the answers with or without Kevin Durant. Um, I think they're going to find the answer to playing Houston in their way, in, in the way that has made Golden State this iconic team of this era. So, I, th- I think Golden State's going to get that job done and eventually get to the finals, but I don't think that they're necessarily going to win it. I think actually their best competition uh, comes from the Eastern Conference. I think a series with them in Milwaukee would be fascinating to watch. I think a series between them and Toronto would be fascinating to watch just because uh, of, of the matchups they're in. But as far as the just looking at this Western Conference, I've developed enough confidence in Golden State watching them on their best night when, you know, when they play Denver after Denver is getting some steam and maybe even could potentially take the one seed, Golden State just smacks them away as if as if they're nothing. I think they're just so much more talented and capable of doing that. And for me, the thing that gave me the most confidence watching them in that first round was the performance of Andre Iguodala. I think he was so good in that first round. And Golden State has struggled for multiple years now to have him healthy and peaking in the postseason. They figured out that formula this year. And I think healthy and strong Iguodala makes such a difference. And it overcomes the fact that they don't have Boogie Cousins. So I think Golden State is going to get that job done that job done against Houston. And I think that this sort of narrative, I've heard Stan Van Gundy say all year that he thinks that Houston can do it. Along with you, Matt, I heard that Bill Simmons is making the pick of Houston over Golden State. I think Golden State... Uh, is now it, we, we've now gone too far in the other direction uh, in terms of what's happened with Golden State this year and the off-court stuff. Um, on their best day, they're still by far the best team. So I, I, th- I think they're going to win that series. I don't want to say comfortably because Houston just makes it difficult, um, but I, th- I think Golden State will win that series and get to the finals. The only thing I'd say is um, I, I keep <laughs> it, it's it's dumb, but there's an Eminem line that I, I keep thinking of. Uh, it just popped back up from my mid two thousands. <laughs> when I, I was listening to music on campus, but there's a line where Eminem says, "Like when your run is over, just admit when it's at when when it's at its end." And that's why I keep thinking of Golden State, where it's like they just don't want to do this anymore. Like they just don't want to play with Durant. And think about 2011 with the Lakers, right? Mm. Phil Jackson's contract was going to be up. Um, that you there was kind of a sense of like there could be changes coming this summer, but everyone thought like, "Ah, oh, they're the Lakers. They've been to the finals three times. They're going to make it again." And then they didn't. Then they lost the Mavericks. It was the Mavericks here. And they just, it was over. It was done. 2004, the Lakers, like lots of changes coming that summer. Yep. They just, the Pistons, like they just, I think when you're under that kind of stress all year, eventually there just gets a point where it's just really hard. The other thing is, I've said this a lot, winning has diminishing returns. And you win your first title because you're hungry and you see this opportunity and you're like, yeah. And you win your second one and you're like, we did it. We went back to back. And then the third one, you're like, oh God, this is hard, but okay. I mean, we could do this. And now that like this Warriors team is trying to go for its its uh, fourth title in five years. And that's really exhausting with the same guys over and over again. The bench is really bad. The bench is really bad. Like Houston's ain't great. Golden State's bench is really bad. Um, and he, and again, they get in this matchup and Durant does all the things that bother the rest of those guys. It's not just the matchup and how it goes. I watched that series last year and I wrote a whole thing for Action Network about how like, this is really weird. Like before all the stuff happened this year, I wrote a whole thing on Action because I was like, this Warriors team's got a weird vibe. This is weird. Like they do not seem like they want to be together. And you had Draymond screaming at KD after every timeout. And you could tell that Durant's just like tired of it. That's why he snapped back at him this year. I do think that as much as they've peeled things over, they blew that 31-point lead versus the Clippers 
in part just because they get away from what they want to do and what they need to do. And I don't have faith that this team wants it badly enough to be able to rise above because they've won so much. It's just really hard to get yourself motivated when you're like, oh, I got to do it again. Like, I've already done this. And I do think that their arrogance is going to catch him because they don't take Houston seriously. They didn't take him seriously last year. They almost beat him in seven. And the only guys that were really concerned in that series were Steph Curry and Steve Kerr. Those are the only two dudes on Golden State that were really like, guys, we could lose this series. Everybody's like, nah. And then like Curry and Kerr were like, we can lose this series. And then Chris Paul got hurt. So I, I to me, I look at this and I just think that the Warriors are at it. Look, if the Warriors win, nobody's going to be surprised. Nobody's going to be surprised. But you said about going too far the other way. I am upset that it swung this way. I was very sneakily hoping to get in under the radar and be the, the guy picking against Golden State. But now everybody's on it, and that does make me nervous. You want your own corner, Matt. You want your own corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when I look at it, though, and, and I understand that sort of that fourth-year theory, or I, I don't know what year we're on with Golden State at this point. I mean, I experienced it covering the Heat in 13-14, and they were tired of each other, and they were tired of – of Dwayne being out and they were tired of Pat and they were tired of Spo and they were tired of the media, but uh, you know, the difference was, and the reason I think that they're going to win again, or at the very least, I agree with Chris, I I think they get to the finals and then I think it depends a little bit on opponent when they get there. But uh, the reason is that, you know, when I covered that heat team, like, okay, they still had LeBron, but that was the only transcendent player they still had. Right. I mean, Dwayne was not that they didn't count on Bosch in that way, but this team still has, two of them and they still have a guy who in clay who can be the best player on the floor you know once every five games where he just goes nuclear and I I don't think a lot of those other teams we talk about had that like I understand that you know the Kobe Shaq team fell apart against Detroit and they brought in you know Malone and they brought in Peyton and everything and then you know it was kind of just over for for Kobe and Shaq at that stage but I I don't I, I just I just think they have too much talent. I, you know, I, I know this is a simple equation, but even without Cousins, and I almost think Cousins being out in some ways helps. It helps. helps. Yeah, I, I think it clarifies things. Well, I think it clarifies things offensively, but I think it helps defensively. I, and I, I just think they know what they're doing without him. And I, I felt like watching them at times this year, they were trying to figure out how to make it work with him. And he'll be good somewhere else, but I, I, I just I didn't see it working there. So I, I think they beat Houston. I'm still waiting for the Chris Paul hamstring injury. I think it's coming. Um, it always comes. And, and they don't have the depth to make up for that. I mean, I you know, hard in the regular season, you know, shooting 55 times on isolation without Chris Paul is one thing, but doing it in the postseason against a Golden State team that's been there before, I still think it's the Warriors. I think once you get to the finals, like I said, I think it's matchup dependent. I think it's a lot about how the team on the other side is playing. I think Toronto probably does beat Golden State. I think Golden State beats Milwaukee. I think Golden State probably beats Boston. But if Boston gets that far, they've figured out some kind of formula. All right, that's Matt Moore. You can find him at HP Basketball. We managed to keep him from tweeting for the last hour and five minutes. So uh, it's quite an accomplishment on our part. You can go back in there and delete some of them. Follow him over at the Action Network. And again, my pick, uh, which I'll be wrong about because I'm usually wrong. Celtics plus 230, plus 230 against the Bucks. Talk to you soon. for listening to the Fire in the Pocket. Thank you so much. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.